0: Everybody. great to see you, great to greet you to our 10 o'clock service. I want to welcome all the folks who are joining us online. Wherever you might be, it's always a great joy to welcome you into our service. I want everyone to grab a Bible, or if you've got a Bible on your mobile app, whatever you're using, or a Bible app on your mobile device, whatever you're using. I want you to find Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five, and we're going to rejoin our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew called "Let's Talk about Jesus." Uh, we've been doing this for about five months now so far, uh, but we've uh, had a couple of weeks off for Easter and then just a special message. And, and listen, that's going to happen from time to time. We're going to be involved in this Matthew study so long that it's going to happen that from time to time we take a little bit of a break. But we're back today, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. This is a really challenging passage of Scripture for all of us. This last week, when I was putting this message together, I found an interesting video on the internet. It's called, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. Now, just let that sink in for just a moment. It's called, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. And uh, in the beginning, the guy in the video, he's a young guy, kind of a hip guy, uh, starts off by making this statement. He said, Jesus came to abolish religion. Now, that's absolutely true. I hope that we all understand that this morning. That's why Jesus had so much difficulty with the religious leaders. That's why they hated him so much that they ultimately conspired to kill him. And then a little bit later in the video, the guy, he says these words, and it's kind of like a poem, it's kind of like a rap, but not really, but it's kind of like a poem. He says, see, the problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification like a long list of chores. Now, honestly, I'm usually kind of skeptical about these kinds of things. I, I, I'm talking about these kinds of videos, these kinds of stances, these kinds of presentations, because I think that a lot of times they can be overly harsh and overly judgmental and just make complicated matters sound like they're really simple. But having said that, I agree 100% with the truth that simply going through the motions of following a list of rules. And regulations without any involvement of the heart is not what God has in mind when it comes to living the Christian life. No one knew that better than Jesus. And so when Jesus began his earthly ministry, what he did over and over again was he confronted that belief. He confronted that kind of religious practice. And one of the ways that he did that was he repeatedly called his followers to a higher level of righteousness, a higher standard of righteousness, which is a really big part of the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we are in Matthew 5. If you're familiar with the Gospels, you know the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We're just about halfway through Matthew chapter 5, and this is what Jesus does over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me give you an example. The last time we were together and we opened our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. My son Andrew was preaching, he preached a sermon from Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 through 20 and he he talked about Jesus' attitude toward the law. Now that was a really difficult message because that's a difficult passage of Scripture because so many people don't even know what the law is. When you start talking about the law with regard to the Bible, a lot of people don't even know what that is. Even people who've been raised in church their entire life and some people think that they do but they really have a kind of a misunderstanding about the law. Now I don't have time to give you a long definition or explanation, so I'm going to give you just a crazily overly simplistic explanation of the law. The law is the guidelines or the rules that God gave His people back in the Old Testament to guide and govern their behavior and keep them in a right relationship with Him. That's a simple explanation. It began with the Ten Commandments, but it's more than the Ten Commandments. Now here's the deal, following the law had become an incredible burden for God's people because no one could do it. And so God's people, and this is what Jesus encountered when he began his ministry, God's people, for the most part, spent their days feeling absolutely helpless, absolutely hopeless, and absolutely defeated when it came to trying to follow the law. And when Jesus came along, they really received him well. Jesus was incredibly popular. We've talked about that. There were moments and times when literally thousands upon thousands of people went to hear what Jesus had to say. They were hanging on every word. And one of the things that they hoped was that he would give them some kind of relief from the burden of the law. But then Jesus said something to them that just made them feel even more defeated, if that was even possible. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, he said these words, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I guarantee you that was shocking to the people when they heard that because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the best of the best when it came to being religious and following the law, and they had to have thought to themselves, their natural response must have been, if those guys can't do it, then how can I? If they don't have the ability to be good enough through the law, then how can I? But here's the deal. Jesus was just setting them up And preparing them for something new. He was preparing them for a new level of righteousness that was not based on following rules. He was preparing them for a new level of righteousness that was not based on external actions. It was based on internal attitudes. Let me say it like this, he was preparing them for a new level of righteousness that was based on the heart. On the heart. And we begin to see what that looks like in this passage that's in front of us this morning, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. So, let's not waste any more time. If you've got your Bibles open there, stand with me like we always do, in reverence and respect for, the God, for God's Word. We love God's Word. We, high, we hold it in high esteem. And so when we read it as a part of our service, we stand in reverence and respect for it. And you follow along. When I read Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26, it's a short but powerful passage of Scripture. Let me just give you a little bit of an idea. Last night, the first time I preached this sermon, I was standing out in the foyer by the guest connection room, and the first man out the door walked by me, looked at me, never even stopped, just looked at me and said, that was hard to hear. That was, so, with that, hopeful in, with that hopeful introduction, that positive, positive introduction, let's dive into the passage. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift." settle matters quickly with your adversary who was taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always pray for God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of his word. All right, now what Jesus is doing here, listen to me close, because this is important. What he's doing here is he's contrasting religion, which is often just behavior, with righteousness, which is being genuinely right with God. The word righteous means to be right with God, so he's contrasting religion, which oftentimes is nothing more than behavior, the following of rules, with righteousness, which is being genuinely right with God. And this morning, we're gonna see that with regard to our emotions, specifically being angry and the way that we treat other people. But as we go through the rest of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to make the same contrast with regard to several other things. He's going to make it with regard to adultery. He's going to make it with regard to divorce. He's going to make it with regard to the swearing of oaths. He's going to make it with regard to seeking revenge or vengeance from someone. And you can go on and on. But here's what I want you to remember. And you should write this down in your notes. The primary difference between religion and righteousness is that religious people focus on actions, the following of rules, while righteous people focus on the attitudes of the heart. Just leave that up there for a second because that's important. The primary difference between religion and righteousness is that religious people focus on actions, the following of rules, while righteous people focus on the attitudes of the heart. And make no mistake, friends, what God cares about the most, what Jesus cares about the most, is the attitude of your heart. And so in Matthew 5.20, Jesus said, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law if you want to get to heaven. That's basically what he said. And beginning in Matthew 5.21, he goes on to give us a little bit of an idea of what that looks like with regard to our temper, our emotions, and the way we treat other people. In fact, Matthew 5.21, Jesus goes on and says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder... And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, everybody look up here at me. I want to see your faces. That's the law. That's the law. When Jesus makes that statement, when he says, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders is subject to judgment. That's the law. That's the letter of the law. And religious people keep the law. How many times have you heard someone say, and you may have said this yourself, you know, I'm not a bad person. I mean, I've never killed anybody. Religious people keep the law. But Jesus takes it a step further and he goes from attitude to action by saying in Matthew 5, these words, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Rakah is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says you fool will be subject or be in danger, rather, of the fire of hell. Now, let me give you a real simple explanation of what Jesus is doing here. That word, recall, that he uses there, that really, that's a word that really has no English equivalent because more than anything else, it describes an attitude. Everyone say attitude. Attitude. It describes an attitude. And in particular, it describes an attitude of contempt. I think everybody knows what that means. This word, recall, was a common term of reproach among the Jews in Jesus' day. If you were gonna press me and push me in a corner and force me to give you an English word that comes at least close to what that word rakah means, it's probably the word idiot, idiot. Now, but remember, it's mostly an attitude. So if you call somebody an idiot, idiot, you never, you usually don't do it in a nice way, right? There's not really a nice way to call somebody an idiot. And I know that because I say that every time I get behind the wheel of my car and I drive down the road. That's my favorite word to use. I'm ashamed to say that, but it's the truth. The word fool that Jesus uses here in the original language of the New Testament is the Greek word moros. We get the English word moron from that word, and that pretty much tells you everything you need to know about that word. (laughs) So Jesus is saying, listen, having said that, Jesus is saying anyone who commits murder is subject to judgment. Again, that's the law. Everyone understood that. But then he raises the bar. Remember, he's calling us to a higher level of righteousness. Then he raises the bar by saying, in essence, but there's more to it than that because anyone who is so angry with someone that they look down on them with contempt and they call them a fool or an idiot or something like that, they're also subject to judgment as well. See, here's the point. The law says do not murder. That's easy to keep. You can hate someone with every fiber of your being. You can call them every name that you can think of, but as long as you don't murder them, you're okay, religiously speaking. But again, Jesus is saying there's more to it than that. And he describes it like this. Religion says, do not murder. Righteousness says, don't look down on someone with contempt and call them names because that's just as wrong as murder. Why? Because it's not just our actions that God is concerned about, it's our attitudes as well. That's what we've seen over and over as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount. Religion says you can be angry, you can treat people with contempt, you can call them every name in the book, just don't kill them, and you still get an A in religion. But Jesus says if you have those attitudes in your heart, you might get an A in religion, but you get an F in righteousness because what God cares about, again, is the attitude of the heart. Listen, friends, the Bible tells us really clearly that you can't be in a relationship with God if there are people in your life that you hate. You know that the Bible says that? You see those words up on the screen from 1 John chapter four and verse 20? I want you to read those words with me. Just a verse, let me hear your voices. Let's all say it together. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now that falls in the category of one of those verses we wish weren't in the Bible, because that's really strong. You know, one of the reasons why some people have so much conflict in their life is because they have such utter contempt for others that it causes them to treat them in a way that breeds conflict. You know what? When I wrote that, I was thinking to myself, there. I, you know, and I can say this with with honesty and integrity. Whenever I sit down to prepare a, a sermon, and it. You know, I spend several hours every week doing that. I don't ever go through there and write something down on a page or type something on a computer screen and then think immediately of somebody that I think really needs to hear that. You know, I don't type something and say, I hope they're there tomorrow at 8.45. Because of all the people in the world, they need to hear that. I don't do that until this week. (laughs) And I type that sentence in my page or my computer that said that the reason why some people have so much conflict in their life is because they treat other people with such contempt that it causes them, or they have such contempt for other people that it causes them to treat them uh, that way. And that creates pushback, you know, and I thought of somebody that I know, I said, that's exactly, because it's it's a person that puzzles me, but it's just, I said, that's them perfectly. They have an arrogant attitude, they look down at everybody else, they have contempt for everybody else, everybody's beneath them, and you can't treat people that way, because people know it when you feel that way about them, and not expect for them to push back. And this is what we need to understand, and so, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26, Jesus shows us what it looks like to choose a righteous path for our relationships. Not, he doesn't tell us how to be religious with our relationships, because that's about following rules, he tells us how to be righteous. And there are three specific truths that really stand out to me from this text, okay? So if you're taking notes, here they are, I want you to write down the first one next to number one. The first truth is Jesus says you need to realize that contempt is a sin. You need to realize that contempt is a sin, not just murder, not just the action, the overt action of murder, but contempt is a sin. Now, maybe you're like me and you read that, and the first thing you, you think of is, is this verse here, uh, Matthew 5, where Jesus says, anyone who is angry with his brother is subject to judgment. And if you're like me, in your mind, you're thinking, now, wait a minute. I know my Bible, and I know that there were times in Jesus' life when he got angry, And not only did he get angry, but there were times in Jesus' life when he demonstrated anger. Remember when Jesus cleared the temple? He went in the temple one day, and there were money changers in there, and they were cheating the people. That's what they were doing. We don't have time for a lengthy explanation, but they were taking advantage of people. They were cheating them. They were mistreating them in every way. These poor people were being oppressed, and Jesus got angry about that, that that was happening, that it was happening in the temple, and so he turned over the tables. He drove out the people, and he was angry when he did it, but... There's a difference between that, that action of Jesus when he was angry and what Jesus is talking about here because when Jesus drove out the money changers from the temple, he was demonstrating what we call righteous anger, righteous anger. And righteous anger simply defined is when we get angry over the things that anger God. It's not a personal thing with us. We are angry because God is being offended by the actions of someone else. And God is definitely offended when people are mistreated and lied to and cheated and abused and on and on and on. That's not the anger that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter five, instead. What Jesus is talking about here is this brooding, simmering, grudge holding anger that we refuse to let go of in our lives. He's talking about an anger that takes control of you and causes you to look at other people with contempt. In fact, we could probably just call it contempt instead of anger. And when you give in to that kind of anger, you're risking the judgment of God in your life because Jesus is teaching us here that contempt is a sin. Now, it might not show itself in some kind of overt action but it's inside, it's a sinful attitude inside of us. And that's why Jesus says, for example, it's wrong to call someone raka or wrong to call them a fool because both of those reveal contempt in your heart. And beyond that, both of them reveal a certain level of arrogance in your life because you're looking down at someone like you're better than them when you do that. And arrogance will never get anybody anywhere with God. If you want to have a relationship with God and you want to experience the blessing of God in your life, then the very first thing you have to do is humble yourself and acknowledge your own unworthiness. There's no place for arrogance in the life of a Christian. We studied the Beatitudes earlier. What was the very first Beatitude? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we discovered that what it means to be poor in spirit is to recognize your own spiritual poverty and bankruptcy before God and then humble yourself in front of him. You know, most of us, and honestly, most people are probably smart enough or sophisticated enough to avoid using the word hate when we talk about somebody else. I can't remember the last time I said I hate somebody, literally, you know, and meant it that way. But just because we don't say it doesn't mean that it's not true if we have contempt in our heart towards someone. And contempt is looking down on someone, despising someone, holding a grudge against someone, and as a result, thinking you're better than they are. You know, I have said before, and I, I've said it right here. I've stood right here where I'm standing right now behind this pulpit in a weekend service. I've said before, I don't hate anyone. And I wasn't lying when I said that. I meant that, I was sincere. But honestly, when I look at this passage of scripture, when I really think about what Jesus is saying, when I study it to understand the deepest meaning of what he's communicating here, I might be able to stand and say that I don't hate anybody but I would be lying if I said that I didn't have a certain level of contempt for some people that I know in my life because they've hurt me or they've hurt someone I love or they hurt the church that I love. I think we can all relate to that. So how do we handle this? How do we handle it when someone hurts us or offends us or rubs us the wrong way? And inside, in our hearts where it matters the most, we begin to feel a certain level of contempt for them. Well, here's what I've got as an answer, whether you like it, whether I like it or not. We need to see that as a spiritual flaw in our lives. We need to confess it. We need to ask God to deal with us and deal with our hearts and change the way that we feel. And when we encounter those people, we we need to make every effort to love them and treat them with respect and kindness because they're somebody that Jesus loved enough to die for. Is that hard? It is absolutely hard, but that's what we need to do. Now, somebody might push back on that and say, Pastor, I don't agree with that. I think that's wrong because I'm not going to be a hypocrite. If I don't like somebody, I'm not going to act like I like him. If I don't like somebody, I'm going to let them know I don't like it. And here's what I have to say in response to that. That reveals the exact kind of arrogance that we're talking about. I believe that's what Jesus would say. He would say to you in love, that reveals the exact kind of arrogance that we're talking about. Treating somebody with love and courtesy and kindness and respect, even if you don't have the best of feelings toward them is not hypocritical, it's holy. And that's what we need to remember. The second thing that I see here that Jesus is teaching us with regard to relationships, and this is hard to hear, is this. Reconciliation is your responsibility. Reconciliation is your responsibility. I mean, up to this point, what Jesus has said Is hard enough to accept but then he goes and he raises the bar even higher in verses 23 and 24 he says therefore if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you leave your gift there in front of the altar first go and be reconciled to your brother then come and offer your gift now i'm gonna i'm gonna just try to summarize those two verses with a single statement that I think capture the meaning of what Jesus is saying. Write this down in your notes. Jesus is saying religious rituals won't get you anywhere if your heart isn't right with others. So don't deceive yourself. Religious rituals will not get you anywhere if your heart isn't right with others. That's what Jesus is telling us. Listen, you can't find anyone who believes in the importance of certain things that might be viewed by some as rituals when it comes to our faith. You can't find anybody who believes more more in the importance of church attendance and giving and generosity and serving and and taking the Lord's Supper and on and on a lot of the things that we do. You can't find anybody who believes in the importance of those more than me. But those things will not impress God if we ignore the relational instructions of the Scriptures and we leave conflicts with people unresolved. And notice that Jesus says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember, now note this, that your brother has something against you. He doesn't say, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that you have something against your brother. It's if that your brother has something against you. He says, leave your gift and go make things right. Remember, we're talking about reconciliation being our responsibility. Now listen to me, you know why Jesus doesn't say if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that you have something against your brother? Here's why, it's really simple. Because the scriptures already tell us what to do under that circumstance, they tell us that we need to forgive and let it go. But if we remember that a brother has something against us, we need to go and make it right. Now that's hard to hear, forgiveness, Every time I preach or teach about forgiveness, that's always a difficult thing. There's usually somebody who responds to me in some way with a little bit of pushback. I understand that because we, by nature, we wanna hang on to the hurt. By nature, we wanna hang on to the pain, what's been done to us because that gives us some sense of superiority or moral authority over that person and we're holding on until we see them suffer the same kind of pain that we've suffered and we're holding on until they're punished. We're not satisfied until we see the punishment and stuff. But listen to me, that's all human. That's not what the Bible teaches us. That's not the biblical approach to relationships. The Bible says it's our responsibility to Forgive and let it go. I didn't put this verse on the PowerPoint, but it's a great verse and we've talked about it before. Proverbs 19 and 11 says, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. And I can just, I'll just tell you this again. This is the instruction of the scripture, the unavoidable, unmistakable, no loopholes, instruction of the scripture. When somebody sins against us, hurts us, offends us, we have this responsibility to forgive them and let it go because reconciliation is our responsibility, whether it's somebody who's sinned against us or when we've offended someone else. Now, here's the deal. Some people get confused about this because of the use of the word reconciliation. I think of the word reconciliation here just in terms of just resolving the problem in our life, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go back to the same kind of relationship you had with somebody who wounded you before. It just means that you've let it go. It's not holding you prisoner any longer. Do we all understand that? And, and, this is very important. I'm gonna push the pause button for a moment because I don't want you to think that I'm insensitive in any way or shape or form this morning because I'm gonna tell you that I understand this. I understand that while the Bible tells us that when it comes to forgiveness, we have a responsibility to forgive offenses and let it go, I also understand that the Bible tells us that there are times when somebody can sin against us and hurt us and offend us so deeply and in such a harmful way or maybe somebody that we love and care about that we have instructions that come directly from Jesus. They're found in Matthew chapter 18. We'll talk about this passage when we get there in our study. Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 through 20. We have specific instructions on what to do in those circumstances. Because sometimes it's not just about deciding in the moment I'm gonna forgive and let it go. Sometimes something can be so grievous that we need to follow certain steps along the way to try to resolve the problem. But the bottom line is this, reconciliation is your responsibility. It's either your responsibility to forgive somebody and let it go, or it's your responsibility to go someone and go to someone who you've offended and seek forgiveness. Write down this third truth, and this is also hard to hear. And Brian, you can come, we'll get ready to close. The third thing that Jesus teaches us here about relationships is being reconciled is better than being right. He goes on in verses 25 and 26 to say this, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Obviously, Jesus is thinking of a situation where you owe someone a great debt and that's where you need to be reconciled. He says being reconciled is better than being right. i want to tell you something, friends, that I say to my wife all the time, she was here at 845 service you can track her down and if you want to and get verification on this. But I say to her all the time in lots of different settings and circumstances these words, I hate it that I'm always right. Now how many of you know what I'm talking about? I hate it. It's a burden, it's a curse. I hate it that I'm always right. Now honestly, I think that I know deep down inside that's not true. I think I know that. (laughs) Deep down inside that that's not always true. But let's just be honest for a moment. This is the reality of most of our lives. We always think that we're right. And we always think that we're right when it comes to conflicts. But what Jesus is saying here, the unavoidable truth of what he's saying is that it doesn't matter whether you're right because being reconciled is better than being right. And that's what we just need to accept. So let me end with a question this morning. Real simple, if you had to choose between the two, do you wanna be religious or do you wanna be righteous? Do you wanna make sure that on the outside, with regard to your actions, you're following all the rules, you're checking them all off, you're going through the motions, or do you wanna know that on the inside, where it matters the most, where God is most concerned, that you're genuinely right with him. Do not murder, that's the law, that's religion. Don't hate your brother, don't look down on him with contempt, don't call him names, that's righteousness. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. Look at these words on the screen and this is how we'll close. This is a great verse of scripture, the apostle Paul In Romans 12, 17 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I'm telling you, living at peace with people, Jesus is telling us, is a great, great sign and indication of a righteous life. I want you to pray with me this morning. Thanks, Lord, for a chance to study the Bible.